0: Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to America the Beautiful with her spacious skies and amber waves of grain. And a belated happy birthday to our own Curtis Houck, who uh, sadly was turning 10 on September 11. 2001. That is not the kind of date you want for your birthday. It's like sharing your birthday with Hitler. I mean, it's just, it's not happy. Uh, Later on, I'll recall uh, where I was on that day uh, as a reporter. I was a reporter at that phase. Now, but the sad trend we saw yesterday on the Sunday morning shows was liberal network hosts and Democrat guests Attempting to compare September 11 to January 6. Who does that? Does this make any sense to anyone? We're going to compare mega-Republicans to Al-Qaeda. They were comparing pro-lifers to Al-Qaeda. Now, can we recall we lost almost 3,000 Americans on 9-11? Now, can we recall... We should all remember this. How many Americans were violently killed on January 6th? One. And that one, Ashley Babbitt, is seen by our media as one of those domestic terrorists. These people have no sense of perspective. They are just spewing historically cockeyed talking points. Sounds like they were emailed to the networks like their, you know, their usual DNC mailer. The Twitter account Defiant L's, which has fun exposing leftist double standards on Twitter, was reposting this butte from last year from the rabid Democrat account Brooklyn Dad Defiant. If you've never heard of this account, it has a million followers, which means. It could be somebody you could fact check for misinformation. But yet, last year, Brooklyn Dad Defiant tweets, Don't try to tell me January 6th was not worse than 9-11. Those rioters were Americans. How does that change the the 3,000 to 1 death toll difference? Hey, a Brooklyn dad. How about all the rioters who killed cops and threw Molotov cocktails at police cars in 2020? Now they're throwing Molotov cocktails at pro-life offices. Those are Americans too, pal. The guy who came, got out of a taxi, attempting to kill Brett Kavanaugh and his family. Yeah, that guy was an American too. This also seemed to happen on Sunday's Meet the Press where Chuck Todd opened the show over the majestic John Williams music. Love John Williams. Even when he wrote for NBC News. NBC News is not worthy of a John Williams theme, but there it was. Todd, this Sunday, my interview with Vice President Kamala Harris, the Vice President, opens up on the threat posed by election deniers. And then Kamala's quoted, I think we have to admit that there are attacks from within and we need to take it seriously. So right there at the start of the show, 9-11, January 6th, I mean, Todd set the table. Then once the show began, he said, today is September 11th. It was 21 years ago that we were attacked by foreign terrorists. Not quite 20 years after 9-11, the Capitol came under attack from domestic terrorists. Now, I don't think that Chuck Todd would have said you could call people who rioted in the streets in 2020, you would call them domestic terrorists. That would have sounded Trumpy. They wouldn't have allowed it. They would have sent their independent fact checkers out to shoot it down. But you can call these mega-Republicans domestic terrorists and compare them to the people who killed 3,000 Americans, and it's somehow plausible. Now, Chuck Todd signaled what his first question was, but he didn't show the audience what it was on NBC. I, I hate this tactic. As a media critic, I want a sense of the question so I can judge the answer. They pull this a lot, the liberal media. They pull this trick with a lot of their democratic friends. Now never forget, Chuck Todd has a wife who makes a living in the Democrat messaging business with her Maverick firm. We should we could obviously joke that Chuck Todd's also making a living in the Democrat messaging business. This was his intro into the interview on NBC. I began by asking the vice president about how over two decades our focus has had to shift from foreign terror to the threat from within. Okay, so election deniers are a terrorist threat from within. I can see where a president who refuses to concede defeat is a definite problem for democracy. But the January 6th rioters, for all of their violence didn't drive a plane into the side of the Capitol and kill hundreds or thousands of people. So Chuck Todd didn't tell you what his first question was, but they did promise. The full interview was on meetthepress.com, so I went over to look at the video. Here's the actual question that Chuck Todd asked her. He did the same thing about 20 years after 9-11, blah, blah, blah. And then he said to her about now, is the threat... Equal or greater to the threat we faced after 9-11? What? Is it equal or greater? How about lesser? How about you give her a chance? Is it lesser or greater than 9 I mean, this... I'm sorry, this is a preposterous-sounding thing. I mean, they grounded every jet on 9-11 because they were afraid that there was going to be 20 planes in the air driving into buildings... But somehow January 6th is a threat that is either equal or it's greater than 9-11. Those are the only two answers Chuck Todd thinks you can get. Kamala answered, I think it's very dangerous and I think it is very harmful and it makes us weaker. Okay, if this is true, that election denial is dangerous, where does Kamala stand on Stacey Abrams? Is Stacey Abrams a terrorist? Is Stacey Abrams worse than 9-11 when she wouldn't acknowledge she lost the race for governor of Georgia? Where does Kamala stand on Congressman Vicente Gonzalez, Democrat of Texas, who just said his election was stolen from him by Myra Flores? She's the new Mexican-born Republican congresswoman. This is after Vicente Gonzalez suggested during their campaign that she wasn't really American. She was kind of Mexico-ish. Kamala suggested the terrorists would include those election deniers running for secretary of state.
1: That we hold ourselves out to be a role model, which means the rest of the world, like any role model, watches what we do to see if it matches up with what we say. So, you look at everything from the fact that there are 11 people right now running for secretary of state, the keepers of the integrity of the voting system of their state, who are election deniers. You've got...
0: And what's that sending, what message does that send to the world?
1: Well, you couple that with people who hold some of the highest elected offices in our country, who who refuse to condemn an insurrection on January sixth, and I think what it sends is a signal that is that causes people to question: Hey, is America still valuing what they talk about, which is the integrity of democracies, which means protecting rule of law and the and 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 the sanctity of these systems and. Speaking up when they are attacked.
0: So that's the first question we hear Chuck Todd asking on NBC. Instead of challenging the vice president in any way, it's just undergirding her thesis. And what's that sending? What message does that send to the world? That's not asking a question. That's facilitating a talking point. Let me, let me let you answer for two minutes, and then I'll just interrupt to help you keep going. These people always worry that conservatives are ruining America in the eyes of the world. They're all Democrats who remember Barack Obama being hailed in Europe as a political Superman or maybe an Ubermensch because he's a socialist, just like most of them there. Yeah, he's got a lot in common with the European socialists. They always do this. Europe doesn't like Republicans because Europe's a pile of socialists. Well, who's going to let Europe decide who America elects? Well, they do because they think that's going to help them out. You know, the Europeans, they're so much more reasonable than all these knuckleheaded Americans in trailer parks and small towns and farms. They're not sophisticated at all. Now, there's something just sort of bothersome about Chuck Todd letting... Kamala Harris, go on and on and on. You know, let us recall that impatient version of Chuck Todd that would interrupt Ron Johnson every five seconds and start yelling at him, especially when Ron Johnson dared to say, the media, we're in bed with the Democrats. Chuck Todd can't handle that. Chuck Todd turns into the Hulk when you do that. But here on Sunday, he was just sitting around, staring into his notebook on his lap and letting Kamala jaw, jaw, jaw about how election deniers are terrorists. Then Chuck followed up with this. Nearly 70% of Republicans don't believe that the president and yourself won the 2020 election legitimately. Do you think you'll ever be able to change their minds? Now, I think Republicans should tell pollsters they should acknowledge that Biden won the election. Pollsters, though, tend to ask if Biden was legitimately elected, and we should consider that many people who had accepted Biden as president, who don't think Trump's going to return in two weeks and become president again, still think there was something illegitimate in the campaign. There was something illegitimate in the process. And we could start with the way that Democrats and their big tech buddies conspired to suppress negative stories about the Bidens. And the evidence keeps pouring in on that. The Biden people and Facebook and everybody was like, oh, well, let's tell you what you shouldn't be doing. That's Russian disinformation. Wouldn't it have been nice, wouldn't it have been professional for Chuck Todd to actually ask Kamala Harris about big tech suppressing stories that the so-called mainstream media now acknowledged to be true, even if back then they said, Russian disinformation, Russian disinformation, like the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop? Can we ask Kamala about Hunter Biden's laptop? Of course not. He couldn't do that. Anyway, Kamala uncorked this deeply weird answer you know, when she was asked, do you think you could talk Republicans into thinking Biden was legitimately elected? First, she says she doesn't find any of this out on the road when she talks to people, which might suggest Chuck Todd is overstating things. That might be interesting. But then what she suggested was people out there, you know, people know they passed an infrastructure bill and people know they're going to make sure everyone has high speed internet. (laughs) What the flugelhorn is this? It's like, I was here to talk about her achievements, and I don't know where to shove that in. But I have Chuck at Hello, so this place seems as fine as any. Now, it, not, not the whole interview was hopeless. Chuck did ask about how Democrats have been backing those horrible MAGA Republicans in primary races. And he tried to ask her if she would do that. And she said, I'm not going to tell people how to run their campaigns. Well, this should be a hard-hitting follow-up to the whole election deniers or terrorists thing. How is it that you're supporting 9-11 terrorist-style Republicans in primary races? Because the terrorists are easier to beat? But what if the domestic terrorist wins? Did you think that through? He did ask Kamala to define semi-fascist. Is it a fascist who drives a semi? You know, and then he was like, well, she didn't like that question. Oh, well, good for you. And Chuck did ask about Trump and whether he'll be prosecuted after this unprecedented Mar-a-Lago raid by a very partisan Justice Department. Why don't you ask her, is the Justice Department look like a pile of hard partisan hack Democrats? He's not going to ask that because he's a partisan hack Democrat. But this is where leftist Twitter went nuclear. He asked if it would be too divisive for the country to prosecute President Trump. All the leftists, the radicals, they hate this question. You know, they all want Chuck Todd to go to Fox. Because no one should get in the way of putting Trump in an orange jumpsuit. Then we go over to CBS's Face the Nation, where Senator Mark Warner was doing this stuff. Now, Margaret Brennan, the host on CBS, asked sort of a vague question at the top of the show about how they're handling the terrorist threat today, so many years after 9-11. Senator Warner said, we are safer, better prepared. The stunning thing to me is, here we are 20 years later, and the attack on the symbol of our democracy was not coming from terrorists, but it came literally from insurgents attacking the Capitol on January 6th. Yes, this is where you know everybody's been handed the sheet. Yes, the threat of foreign terror is on the wane, but he said, I do worry about some of the activity in this country, where the election deniers, the insurgency that took place on January 6th, that is something I hope we could see that same kind of unity of spirit. Oh, so there's a unity in spirit in attacking the Republicans as semi-fascists and domestic terrorists. That's interesting. Here we were on September 11th. A great day to mark unity of spirit for about 24 hours. And here they were, the Democrats, throwing January 6th mud buckets on everything. And Margaret Brennan didn't ask him, Oh, well, what about all the election deniers you guys are supporting as Democrats to try to ruin Republican primaries? Then we go over to Hillary Clinton on State of the Union. You know, they don't like election deniers on State of the Union. Somehow Hillary Clinton doesn't count. Because she, like CNN, always suggested Donald Trump was an illegitimate president, and that was cool because he was, you know, he was a Russian plant. That was always just accepted wisdom. Those were all facts first apples. Dana Bash began by asking Hillary Clinton, you say September 11th is incredibly etched in your mind. You flew over the smoldering wreckage of the World Trade Center in a helicopter after the attack. Yes, she was a senator from New York, a carpet-bagging senator from New York. Born in Illinois, lived in Arkansas for decades, then in D.C. for a bunch, and then she ran for the Senate in New York and nobody knows why except everybody in the media wanted it. So Dana Bash to Hillary, what's going through your mind today, 21 years later? Well, guess what she's going to say? She's going to say, well, now today we're thinking about the extremism here, the domestic terrorists.
1: We have also, I think, um, been reminded um, about how important it is uh, to try to deal with extremism of any kind, Uh, especially when it uses violence to try to achieve political and ideological uh, goals. So I'm one who thinks that uh, there are lessons still to be learned from what happened to us on 9-11 that we should be very aware of uh, during this time in our country and the world's history.
0: Now, Bash could have responded to this by saying, okay, Mrs. Clinton, by that definition, wasn't rioting after the George Floyd verdict an attempt to achieve political goals through violent means? I mean, let's be frank. The media itself thrived on the idea of folding violence and nonviolence into a nice little packet called racial reckoning. They didn't want to condemn people burning stuff down. They sort of made it sound like, oh, you know, NPR was uh, saluting a book called In Defense of Looting. Yes, looting is what takes on the system. And NPR put on a woman basically saying, don't call them riots. They're racial rebellions. Yeah, that's our media. Okay, there's no domestic terrorism on the left. You know, when they riot... Oh, it's basically, it's a, it's a righteous cause, so it doesn't matter which tactic you use. I'm sorry your furniture store was burning to the ground, but hey, we need to beat Trump this fall. So a little property destruction might be necessary. Anyway, you've got insurance, right? These people... Cannot be, they all call themselves the right side of history and they stink at history. These are people who compared the troops who sacrificed their lives on the beaches of Normandy on D Day in 1944 to Antifa activists, to skinny radical leftist white 20 somethings who would never sign up for the army. They stink at historical metaphors. They're not on the right side of historical metaphors. They don't sound like they're on the right side of sanity when they drop this stuff. It would be nice if they could mark September 11 in a solemn way. We would all accept the elected president of the United States saying solemn words on September 11. We just don't want to hear people comparing it to January 6 on September 11th. Now, I can recall what I was doing on September 11, 2001. My boy Ben was in sixth grade. My daughter was three. Um, And uh, I was a reporter. I was a White House reporter for this Christian magazine called World Magazine. I did that for two years in 2001, 2002. So I was kind of a newbie. I'd been a reporter for about six months for them. And uh, I was planning that day to go on a, uh, to Capitol Hill um, to hear uh, the confirmation of the drug czar at that point. That was one of the stories we were following back then. Didn't end up mattering much that day. And uh, I, we had seen right before I left the house that a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. And I think everybody at that point thought, boy, their computer guidance systems were terrible. Um, you know, you didn't assume that was anything terroristic at that point. And so I got in my van and I was driving in and I was going to come by, I think I was going to come by the MRC's offices in Old Town Alexandria. So I was using the Beltway um, and I'm coming around the Beltway and I see smoke, black smoke just billowing up into the sky. Um, And I could just tell that this was I just had a sick feeling this was the pentagon and at this point even the radio DC 101 which is a rock station was running live simulcast to Peter Jennings talking about them hitting the second tower so i mean we knew that this was this was a terrorist attack on on america so then to see the black smoke i was like this is going to be this is going to be terrible and so You know, I got on Highway 1. You can take Highway 1 then from the Beltway up to the Pentagon. And as you go up Highway 1, the neighborhood is called Crystal City, just south of the Pentagon. And there's a whole bunch of white, like, office buildings and hotels. And I just saw this. The whole sky was black behind these white hotels. And I just remember being furious. They drove a jet into the Pentagon. You know, as a symbolic middle finger to this country, and I was just angry, you know, as an American. And uh, I was driving up there. I was. I just thought, well, I got to go to the scene and see what's going on. I didn't see the. You know, I wasn't one of those people that saw the plane hit. I was too far away, but I was there within I don't know fifteen or twenty minutes of the plane hitting. And uh, I remember talking on the cell, my primitive cell phone, with Mrs. Graham. And she was like, Do you have to go? You know, just like, is that is the terrorist attack over or isn't it? And I said, I'm a reporter now. This is what we do. We go into these sorts of things. And I went in and I parked my car, my my van, and I went and talked to people. And one of the ladies outside worked in the Pentagon and she said, This whole section of the Pentagon that the plane plowed into was brand new. You know, they, they, they it was all you know newly reinforced and all this sort of thing and and um, and you know so I was talking to people outside. I mean, uh, ambulance was coming out were coming out while I was driving in, and uh, so I did some interviews and talked to people outside. And then when it was time to try to go file the story, this was I think a Tuesday, and so I that I had a deadline. And I went back to my car and they were basically like, well, sir, you can't leave with your car because apparently they were still concerned. There were planes in the air. There was still, of course, the plane that landed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, uh, well, I will, uh, I will walk. I will walk down to uh, the MRC offices in Alexandria to type up my story. They were going to be accommodating to me. Uh, And, uh, I was walking, and there were a lot of people walking south that day, and the, the, the traffic was so terrible coming out of the Pentagon area that walking was faster than driving. And uh, so I walked down. I came into the MRC. I tapped out a, a story about what I had observed and what people had said to me. And then I had to take the subway back toward my house. So I took the subway to Vienna, Virginia, and then caught a bus out to Centerville where we were living at the time. And my, my wife had to come get me in the car with a three-year-old in the back. And she was just happy that I was safe. And then she was like, the, the funny thing was, we the George W. Bush passed ta- signed tax cut. Check had arrived in the mail. Well, I, I had it in the car that day. And she was all, you left our check in the car? You know, did you lock? Of course I locked the car, but it it was kind of funny. Like, I was still in trouble. And so the next day, I subwayed back to get to my car, and there was a guy with a machine gun standing about 10 feet away from my car, and I was like, yeah, I think the check was safe. (laughs) Um, But that was pretty memorable, you know, and I was, you know, I went into the White House then for press conferences, and people were calling me, friends were calling me on my cell phone asking about, you know, was I safe, and what did I see? And you know, it was a very memorable time, and we did have a rather remarkable period of national unity for, I'd say, about a month. I mean, it it generally lasted more than that, but in terms of when the story started to turn skeptical slash negative again. You know, we, first we had this weird clip of Dan Rather going on Letterman and getting weepy and asking George W. Bush what he could do. I mean, that surely wasn't going to last long, did it? You know, soon he was trying to ruin Bush uh, with with fake documents. Um, it, once President Bush sent troops into Afghanistan about a month later, the, the media tone began to shift. America was at war, so then the media just had to start talking about whether America was causing too many civilian casualties in Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, it began to turn. And then, you know, when, when they all began to realize, oh, well, we got midterm elections in 2002, you know, it was going to just naturally turn. Um, and and it, I suppose that's to be expected. Um, but it was a remarkable period for a while because, yes, that was a dramatic and historic attack And it it is really a, I don't know, what do you call it? An entire roll of baloney. It's an entire kielbasa to suggest that that day somehow compares to January 6th. January 6th was a terrible day, we've said it many times. But it doesn't compare to losing almost 3,000 Americans on 9-11. It just doesn't compare. And the fact that we haven't had... Another riot. We have had another case of a Capitol policeman being killed by a radical, right, in April 2021. And everybody forgets that. They had no interest in that because the assailant loved Louis Farrakhan and was a radical leftist. So that was like a... Eh, eh, nobody remembers that now. They're, they're very uh, intent on making January 6th and putting it right next to September 11, or to put it in Chuck Todd terms. Is it equal to 9-11 or greater? That is a very partisan question. And that is why you have Newsbusters to point out partisan hacks like Chuck Todd. If you want all the updates, that's why you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.